Welcome, welcome, welcome to Reignite Yourself, the Visual Effects Society's and Quebec Film and Television Council's mental health series featuring conversations with professionals from the entertainment industry and mental health specialists. I'm Philip Wolf, co-chair of the VS Health and Wellbeing Committee and will be your host. This series has been created to empower yourselves, ourselves, the visual effects and animation professionals with tools, insights and facts about our mental health. We will talk about our brains, what science can tell us about our emotions, and how our bodies and mind work as one. Our chapters will focus on mental health at work and will also provide you with useful tools for everyday life. Now more than ever, it is time to destigmatize mental health conversations so we can all feel safe to be open and find support. Throughout the series, we will have the honor of welcoming five renowned guests from our industry who have generously accepted to come and start this conversation with us. Caitlin Young, Visual Effects Supervisor at Alpha Studios and on Forbes 30 Under 30 list to watch in Hollywood. Chris White, Visual Effects Supervisor at Weta Digital, who has worked on movies like Planet of the Apes, King Kong, The Hobbit, and is currently busy on the next Avatar. John Dykstra, Visual Effects Supervisor, recipient of three Academy Awards and co-founder of Industrial Light and Magic. Monica Lago-Katis, producer and CEO at Frogbot Films. She served as associate producer at Walt Disney Animation on Record Ralph and Zootopia, then made her live-action debut with Netflix The Christmas Chronicles. Mark Osborne, director of Kung Fu Panda, Le Petit Prince, film producer, screenwriter and animator. What an amazing lineup. But before further introducing today's guests, I would like to welcome our three mental health professionals who will accompany us throughout this journey. Dr. Melanie Bilbull, who's psychiatrist at the Centre Hospitalier de l'Université de Montréal, in short, CHUM. She's completed her Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience, Medical Degree in Psychiatry, Residency at McGill University and her Fellowship in Consultation Liaison Psychiatry at Mont Sinai Hospital in New York. She specializes in mind-body interactions with a particular interest in building resilience and mental well-being. She's also a passionist violinist and certified yoga instructor. Dr. Drea Lettermendi, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, professor, and media consultant. She received her undergraduate degree from Cornell University and her PhD in psychology at UCSD. Dr. Lettermendi currently serves as acting director of the UCLA Student Resilience Center, where she works with college students in the areas of empathy and resilience building, crisis response, and suicide prevention. Dr. Lettermendi is a TEDx UCLA speaker and recently delivered a TED session on resilience and media during a pandemic as part of the special COVID-19 series called Conversations with TED. Her work on the intersections of pop culture and psychological science have been featured in The Atlantic, The Guardian, Vanity Fair and The Los Angeles Times. And last but not least, Camille Charbonneau, who is a mental performance consultant with a master's degree in performance and sport psychology, for the last six years, she has been helping high performers see the value that mental skills training has on performance and everyday life. Through teaching tools and strategies based on sport psychology research, she helps people feel confident and focused when it matters most. Camille has worked with musicians, athletes, coaches, children, and business leaders. Her experience as an athlete, educator, and personal trainer make her a consultant with a wide variety of skills. With a holistic approach, she helps people build lifelong skills that ultimately help cultivate more balance, focus, and happiness. 
Melanie, Drea and Camille, thank you so much for taking part in this initiative and sharing your knowledge with our audience. We're incredibly grateful to have you here with us today. One last thing before we get started. As part of the Release Your Creativity project, we would like to thank our supporters without whom this series would not have been possible. The City of Montreal, as well as the studios supporting the project, Caribara Montreal, DNEC, Framestore, Method Studios, Real Effects, and Technicolor. Thank you. This series is available on visualeffectsociety.com, vfxmontreal.com, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. But now, let's get into it. Today, we're going to talk about growth mindset, building confidence and motivation through seeing challenge as opportunity with our special guest, Mark Osborne. Mark is a two-time Academy Award-nominated filmmaker, a Guggenheim Fellow, and a recipient of the Chevalier of L'Ordre des Arts et Lettres for his culture work on behalf of the country of France. He most recently directed the first ever animated feature film adaptation of Antoine de Saint-Experier's beloved classic The Little Prince. Mixing stop-motion animation and CGI, the film premiered out of competition at the Cannes Film Festival and grossed over $100 million at the global box office, while garnering worldwide acclaim. Mark's breakout was DreamWorks' critical acclaimed animated blockbuster Kung Fu Panda, which received an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Feature. Mark's other credits include the stop-motion animation short film More, which received an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Short Film, in 1999. Mark has also worked in live action directing sequences for the first SpongeBob SquarePants movie as well as live action sequences on the, in the first three seasons of the popular TV series. Mark graduated from California Institute of the Arts with a degree in experimental animation. Before that he attended Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. He is currently directing two new animated feature films at Netflix Original Animation. Mark, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks. Let's talk about the importance of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. The importance of bouncing back from failures, mistakes and challenges. The effects that resilience has on confidence and motivation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably talk about failure all the time, probably too much, but it, it's de definitely been the constant that I think I've experienced uh, throughout the process. But um, um, yeah, I feel like every creative endeavor, when I'm in the middle of it, it just feels like a failure. So like, that's pretty constant. And so trying to figure out how to sort of push through that, um, you know, but um, uh, gosh, yeah, so many examples, too many examples. Um, uh, where do I begin? I mean, I, I would go all the way back to when I was making short films and when I was in school, I think the, 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 the clearest memory I have, I didn't know if I should be making films. And I felt like I, what I was doing was, was not going to work out. And, um, I got the advice to just like finish it and move on and that my next film would be better. You know, like I would, I would learn and I would, if it's a failure, it's a failure, but my second film would always be better. And I remember thinking like, maybe I just won't do it again. You know, like that might be what I learned. And then that film went on to win awards and kind of create opportunities and, and it surprised me and I ended up learning so much, but not necessarily in ways that I could have predicted or expected. And 
so I think I definitely feel like that um, that growth what wouldn't have occurred if I had stopped myself and if I had just like walked away from that crisis, you know, that opportunity that was there. So I don't know if that's a good one. There's, like I said, there's plenty of examples. I think uh, the growth comes from failure, right? Um, do you think that, would you change anything looking back on how you would have approached those, those first instances you just shared? It, it became a bit of, I mean, I, the strongest memory I have, because it was a hot, it was like I, I was, I was doing stop motion and it was a very hot environment. And the, the only cold spot was underneath the set. And I would crawl because it was in a base, it was in a garage. And I would crawl under the set to cool off. And that was where I would, like, that was where I would wish that it would go mm. away. Like, I was, that was like my little safe spot. And um, so I don't, yeah, it's weird. In looking back, I feel like I wouldn't change it at all because I had to go through that and and I found a different version of that kind of safe spot where I would, could fantasize about quitting like on every project I'm on so we talked uh, the idea of an escape hatch is such you know it's like an important thing to be able to give yourself that but I and looking back at it yeah I'm grateful that I was able to sort of push through it and risk the sort of the humiliation of having a not good first film. I look back at it now and I, there's so many things about it I hate and there's so many things I would do differently, but I, I definitely learned so much by just pushing through and allowing it to be imperfect, you know, allowing it to have flaws. And even with the last film I finished, The Little Prince, I was mortified by some aspects of the film that I felt we failed at and some things that I didn't feel like lived up to our what we were trying to do. And there were, you know, really kind, like a couple of people came up to me and said, but that's what makes it great. You know, those little things that are wrong, that's what makes it art, you know? And so we're kind of reminding ourselves that imperfection is actually an important part of it, you know? There are so many interesting things that what you just said. One, one that I loved was just finding a little cold space near your initial stop motion films. And having that little safe space, I think really it, it's the way you described it is, is very visual at the same time. But I think that for everyone, that's very important to have a safe space, no matter whether it's a little cold spot, whether it's actually if you feel comfortable enough with your colleagues to go to the break room for a little bit or to go for a walk or to, to do anything that makes you feel good when you're going through something that's so stressful. And to have a bit of time to to connect with what is your greater vision in this to say, OK, maybe everything is not perfect, but my greater goal is to finish the job or to do something to push myself to try something new that I haven't before. And so to have somewhat of a vision that you keep in mind and pulling back in little ways like that, whether it's under the stairs or, or any way to, to reconnect with yourself, I think is very important as you're going through such a stressful process. Thank you for sharing them. I believe the that safe space um, is important for everyone. And it's, it's important to to reflect on how our, our self-talk is in that space, right? We want to keep it, um, I guess, positive or helpful. And there are so many different things we can do in that moment to to reset or recenter. And I like what you said, um, Dr. Melanie, about, you know, kind of connecting with our, our greater vision. Uh, that's so important to, to help us perhaps feel excited again or motivated or confident. And I think another 
um, other tools that we can use, which which I tend to advocate a lot to the people I work with, is um, just simple breathing strategies or a quick meditation just to, to have that moment of stillness so we can we can move forward forward with you know more calmness, um, a clearer headspace, and it's so great to be able to have that yeah that that safe space to just kind of it's like a reset button right. <laughs> So, and that might change as your career continues and maybe has it changed, Mark, like that, maybe the, the things you tell yourself, say yourself in that space. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a place to think about. It's a place to reflect and, and prioritize. And it's like the fantasy of quitting or the fantasy of walking away. It's like you can entertain it, but then you realize what you're giving up. And you realize it's sort of a way to sort of re-incentivize yourself to think about, you, you, you know, your goals or what it is that what's the bigger picture here. But yeah, it gives, I don't know, because it gives you a chance. But I, I feel like I still do it. Maybe it gets a little easier, but it's, I've, I have yet to find a project that isn't like challenging. I think that's the thing I also try to tell students. I'm like, you know how hard your student film is? You know how hard the project you're currently on is? They're all hard. Like, don't don't think it's going to get easier. Like, it's it's. And I don't I don't know if that's helpful or not, but you know, it is. Yeah. Sorry. I think that's a. I think that's an important part of the concept of a growth mindset is this idea that challenges and setbacks are ahead of us. That this expectation, that these adversities and uncertain experiences are part, they're certainly part of the industry, but to sort of conceptualize those and anticipate those events as a part of your personal journey is so important. When we think about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, it's really about interpretation, right? It's about kind of capturing those events as opportunities for growth. Mark, the, the things that you're talking about, maybe this is a chance for me to reflect on my own journey and myself. Um, maybe this itself is a path to mastery or enlightenment or opportunity, and even to kind of change the way that we interpret these situations, which is very difficult to do. Those first experiences of errors and mistakes early in your professional journey, they, they're painful. You know, no one likes to make mistakes. We're so error avoidant and it's hard, right? So I think that interpretation throughout that journey is so important. What did I learn from this? And how am I, how am I more intuitive? How am I more creative? How am I actually shaped in really cool ways by, by this kind of negative experience? That is really how we're best capturing this idea of, of a growth mindset. I just, I just flashed on this strategy that came up in my, my second short, the short film more that ended up, you know, getting nominated for an Oscar. Like, we, we were making that film in IMAX. It was an independent film, but we were using IMAX film. And so it was like gigantic negatives, gigantic cameras. It was very complicated. And we could only have done it, you know, with all this like support from the industry and donations and things like that. It was like a really interesting situation. And, but there were points where we were, we were doing the first stop motion short film using these cameras, these lenses, this, you know, and, and, when things got really hard, the team was like, this is, you know, this isn't going to work. And I was like, but if we get through it, we'll be the first stop motion film ever shot on IMAX. Like it was like, it, 
even if it's terrible, we'll have that distinction. Like I remember sort of leaning into it and, you know, because I had worked on Greener and I learned on my first, my student film, this idea of like lean into it, allow for you to fail. But I do think it is that that's, it's, that's the safe space you want to be in to be at your creative best. And I think that's the safe space you want to be in to be able to do, whether it's your own thing or bring your best to something else that you're working on. That's maybe, you know, a project for hire, but it's like finding that, yeah, that way to sort of allow yourself to put your best out there and risk, risk, you know, it not working, you know, and having that environment where that's okay. I think the best creative environments allow for that and acknowledge that like it's messy. It's a messy, um, any creativity is messy. And the, you know? the constant, I think, regardless of where you are, whether you're at a point of failure, whether you're very high up and you're doing very well, your belief in yourself or certain certain capacities or resources or strengths that you have are really the constant throughout. Whether you're up or you're down, I think having this sort of narrative about yourself or really your belief in your ability to cope, regardless of whether you're up or you're down or what's going on, can really help carry you through. Like, sort of, you know, being the sort of person that, you know, no matter what, I'm just the sort of person who finishes the project. Or I'm the sort of person that no matter what, you know, I'm I'm going to go and just have a good time. I'm going to connect with people, even if it's not exactly the outcome that I wanted. Or having a certain thing that you tell yourself, I'm someone who perseveres. Or I use my sense of humor. I'm an adaptable person. So even if I fail terribly, I'll bounce back. And having that narrative for yourself and telling yourself, you know, no matter what happens, I'm somehow going to be okay because that's, that's who I am or that's what I believe to be the truth. I think really can carry you through those difficult moments. What would you say would be the best way to, to develop that narrative, right? Because it's, it's challenging and um, that confidence comes with, with success, right? And if, if you keep failing and, and you don't have that growth mindset, then it's hard to build that. So do you have any suggestions of how someone could develop that narrative? That's, it's a very, as you're saying, it's a very tough thing to do. It's not, you know, it's, I think it's, it's easier said than done in many ways, especially if you're going through a point in your life where you're having repeated failures or you're very early on in your career and you haven't had more successes, let's say, to really, to cushion the blow of the multiple failures. Um, I think one, honestly, is this idea, as Mark was saying, of the safe space in some way. So finding a way to reconnect with yourself. So whether that is really, if you're the sort of person who enjoys being out alone, so doing things to, to actually feel good, um, to create any sort of positive emotion also is very helpful. So doing things that you actually enjoy to remind yourself of, you know what, this is this is who I am when I'm feeling pretty good. So whether that's you know watching your favorite show or playing an instrument or doing some sort of physical activity that makes you feel like yourself in a way that's disconnected from that failure, exercise is very helpful. This is something that's, it's, but it really is. So just moving your body in some way, um, being outdoors is very helpful. And a major one is also finding a good source of support. So whether it's, you know, some people or families or friends or building your own network in a way to say, you know what, even when I'm down, having people that can remind me that I'm, I'm more than this particular failure can really help carry you through as well. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of um, goal setting with people I work with, and I'm sure uh, you've heard of smart goal setting before. And I attended a lecture at McGill and the professor was talking about how it's so important to to set like smart goals, but also there's three things we forget when we set, you know, our, our long term goals, our dream goals. And um, one of those three things is our support network and just taking the time to think about, you know, who is in my support network now? What type of support network do they offer? What type sorry, what type of support do they offer? What type of support do I need? Um, are there other types of support that I 
that yeah that I need to to reach my goals and you know what's next how can I reach out for help what are other resources and just sitting down to take the time to do that um, can be very useful because it's it's really hard or challenging to to reach or accomplish our long-term goals alone right it's impossible it, it always comes with with a team so definitely taking the time to to think about um, your personal support network is important Mark, did you feel like you had a support network outside of work or was it within the project itself? Um, I, I support with, uh, support within a project can be elusive. Like, you know, I've had, I've had experiences where it's very complicated and there are definitely safe and unsafe spaces within a team, you know, um, um, we've worked really hard on my current project to create a very supportive environment, a very kind, like we want, we want there to be no corner of the project that is not a safe space for, for our team and for our process. And it's just like, it's just better, you know, for the, for the movie. But I will say I have, you know, dealt with challenging situations and it is about trying to find, I had, I had a lot of support outside the project and my family and I, you know, I, I tend to be very, um, you know, try to, when I'm, when I'm making, when I'm making a movie, we're working on a project, like it, it, it does become all, uh, consuming and now, you know, work from home last year, it's all consuming, you know, and all at home, you know, so it's, it's hard, but it is really important to disconnect. It is really important to, to separate from it. And I try to have, good, healthy habits of, of doing that so that I can, again, be at my best when I am, you know, in facing those challenges on, on the show, even, even in the safe, supportive space we've created, the creative challenge of telling a story and making a movie is still impossible. Like the fact that any movie, it comes out good. is like a miracle, you know, like when movies are great, it's like a triple miracle, but like, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's nothing but challenges. But I will say um, that there, yeah, that there's definitely times, and I was just reflecting on, you know, a couple of things that they're the worst experience I ever had, the most horrible, most toxic, like you know, moment where I was in a meeting and it was just, and I won't name names, but it was like the worst experience I've had. Like I, I literally like was like, oh, I'm gonna go start a farm, you know, like I had, I, like there's like that safe space. I just went, I don't need to be in this industry. I'm going to go be a farmer. And I just started thinking about having chickens and, you know, like, and it, and it helped kind of create a safe space, even in the most unsafe situation I had, had experienced. But so I think that idea of being able to escape or giving yourself the option, giving yourself the out, whatever that situation is. And yeah, one particular job that was so challenging. I mean, I remember a point of every day before opening the door, I had to take a deep breath and I had to be make, you know, being okay with like, I could just walk away. Like I could just, I could just drive away and I can walk away. But it was like, yeah, that, that giving myself that moment and having that sort of awareness kind of helped me like on a daily basis. And that's not necessarily easy or fair, but it was definitely yeah, all this talk about safe spaces made me realize how, how important and critical it's been to find those little tiny pockets of those little moments or, like you said, take a walk, you know, write, writing in a journal, like finding those ways to sort of 
you know, reconnect and how I think I've, yeah, done that in, in various ways. Yeah. I love that example of kind of taking your mind into a different space. Uh, there is a term called psychological distancing. We've been talking about social distancing for the last year and a half, right? <laughs> How to kind of keep our bodies safe. Psychological distancing is a term that psychologists use to, and it's about taking a step back and Mark doing exactly what, what you've been doing, um, creating some distance from the emotional uh, pain or the distress and just kind of putting yourself in a different space cognitively or emotionally in order for you to gain perspective, in order for you to take pause and reflect and analyze and, and even just to kind of um, remove yourself from the state of things. And while we can't do this all the time, that would be pretty avoidant. Doing this once in a while is really healthy for us because it allows us to uh, be able to really kind of reframe the situation and even almost depersonalize it, which is kind of that third person. It's almost uh, relevant to to the entertainment industry. Like, what if I'm a viewer here? What am I really, what am I witnessing? What am I perspecting? What, how am I perceiving uh, this situation? What is my perception? And that can be really enlightening and really helpful to reframe ourselves. But the second thing I hear you saying is that you're diversifying your solutions. You're not just going to the exact same uh, solution in order to help yourself or bring yourself out of the situation. I often talk about superheroes and I'll, 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 you know, Batman doesn't just have a battering. Like he has a whole utility belt with a ton of different gadgets and uh, they help him out of these different situations in different ways. The battering does one thing, but the line launcher and the grapple hook and the cryptographic sequencer, they all do different things. And it's so important for us to build that utility belt or tool belt or what, however you want to frame that in order to be prepared and be planful about each situation, each scenario. And so Mark, I'm hearing you say that you actually have a number of different ways in which you cope that are on the spectrum of being reflective, being in the moment, and also taking yourself out of the situation in order to calm the self. What I love about your toolkit is that everything's in your control, right? Like you go to your space or, you know, we, we can choose when to take out a journal and reflect and, um, Drea, you were talking about this, this kind of toolkit and it's the same thing with mental skills and athletes and performers and artists. It's like teaching them how to use, you know, the breath in a situation to reset or a meditation or reflective journaling or physically going to a safe space or taking a walk. And it's so um, nice to have all these different tools you can just pull out depending on the situation. Cause if we just use one tool all the time, for sure, we're going to, hit a challenging situation where that tool won't work. <laughs> so it's definitely nice to have a, a selection. Yeah. My current is to pick up my tiny dog, which is now very handy for me. I can pick up my tiny dog for a moment if I just have a minute in between meetings. So, you know. Animals are wonderful. They have a, they have a very calming effect. Like on, you were talking about diversification, but even yeah. honestly, diversification in terms of your goals when you're talking about you know just leaving the industry, going off and raising chickens instead of instead of your little dog. I'm imagining you with the chicken now going off. Uh, but this idea too of, right. of no matter what, I 
I can somehow find something else. You know, there are certain skills that I can bring to it that I am in control of my destiny that I've chosen every day to be in this industry because it's it's what I want to do. That even if many aspects of the day to day work are actually not in your control, that you're going to have to do longer hours or certain stressors that will come up along the way. But this idea that I could escape if I needed to, or there are something else I could do, I could change my whole path. I think in a moment of complete loss of control really can give you the sense of, you know what, I, I, I could, this is still a choice. That my life is still, there's, you know, I have many different lives to lead if this, if this is not the right path. That I think can actually give you a lot of, a lot of freedom. I think that was the thing that, you know, um, in researching and, and when we were making Kung Fu Panda, you know, just sort of discovering that the, the idea that a crisis and opportunity are the same Chinese character. And that was something that we were sort of exploring for the powerful idea for our story and for Poe. And, you know, it just became something that was part of that sort of um, the exploration of that story. And so that was one of the things that we sort of were talking about. It's like, it is, it's sort of, I would, I would, you know, that, that idea of sort of taking a deep breath and like making that decision and making that choice or framing it in a way, am I going to look at this as a crisis that I can't control? Am I going to focus on all the things I can't control? Or am I going to look at this as an opportunity and try to figure out like what is important to me here? And, you know, that was a very, that was a really challenging I mean, every, like I said, every project is challenging and every project has all these things that you're facing that you're trying to figure out, but it's trying to sort of, yeah, recognize that even those things that, that seem impossible will, you'll learn something, you'll gain something, you know, by sort of going to the difficult place, going to the, you know, so meeting, meeting those, and, and I guess, yeah, that, just thinking about that idea of framing, like reframing, it's how are we going to look at this? How are we going to approach this? I don't know. We have some people in our industry who are, who are moving around to, to do the jobs they're doing. So I don't know, moving from, uh, in my case, Germany to Canada to do, to do a job. Um, when we're talking about um, being able to step away, it's it's ultimately a choice. It's correct. But um, if I'm attached to a work permit, which is attached to an employer, I might have an additional stress on me because, hey, the social circle I have to help me are only my colleagues I just met through my job. And uh, I'm kind of attached to the country based on the attachment to the to the job I'm in. So... Um, how 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 would all we discussing before be applicable for that kind of situation? How can we get through this kind of challenge? I think that does that does add many different additional layers layers to it because I was speaking earlier about feeling connected that you mentioned as well that your sense of your sense of connection your support system is not there that also you've worked so hard to get there that this idea that how can I just pick up and leave when I've done everything to to make it to this point to even just come to get the visa to work in this environment. Um, it does it does make it much harder. So I think that it, within that, being very conscious of, of some of these additional challenges too, sort of saying, you know, I'm coming into this, I have to make sure that I'm staying connected to my sources of support back home that, you know, that supported me in getting to where I am right now, maybe. And then also saying, you know, I'm in a new place, I want to find other people who have the similar hobbies or interests as well to maybe outside of work, so I have another network, which also I think with, with COVID has been much harder to do. Um, so I'll, I, I think in the last year, has there has been many more challenges, but under other circumstances, and even honestly with COVID, so trying to find other people, whether it's online or through other support groups too. Um, and within that, I think 
that Marx's point still does apply to some extent, that it still was a choice and a, a very conscious choice, maybe even more so than had you, you know, had the job been right across the street, that you actually had to work very, very hard to get to this point and to build yourself up to to have a, a CV and, a, and the work experience to get to this particular job. So say, you know what, I'm actually someone who has certain qualities and characteristics and abilities that actually led me to this point, that if I did have to leave, these these qualities would take me through. I could find something else, that I do have something else to fall back on, or even if I don't, that I, I can trust myself to find something else that's different. I recognize this is all easier said than done. And when you're when you're in it, there's a very real possibility that the financial stress as well, too, or just not knowing where, you know, where how are you where are you gonna live? Will you have to leave the country? Um, but I think it's still creating more of this mental escape hatch that is what we're talking about, as opposed to the, the real way you know, it's the goal is not to sort of for everyone to quit their job the next day if they're having a stressful day, but to say, okay, what how can I reflect upon this and, and find an opportunity for growth in this very tough situation? In addition to that, it's creating a plan. And I think by having a, you know, a solid action plan, we can feel more confident to move forward in, in a situation with uncertainty or a situation that's challenging in, a, in another country. Um, I mean, I don't know how many people would, would move to another country without a plan, but uh, <laughs> getting as detailed as possible and creating you know, milestones or short-term goals to, to connect with that plan is, will be more, more, mo- more motivating as well. I wonder, Mark, if you can talk more about some of the pressures to stay in this business or to endure some of these hardships. How how do you make the decisions around these? You know, what how to balance um, the the challenges with these very you know real situations, and what have you been able to offer up in terms of you know your perspective from your experience and, and your leadership. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like, um, I feel like it's a constant ebb and flow. I mean, weirdly, every time I make something, I, I have to say this is might be my last thing because it's the only way to get through it sometimes. Right. And so, and that's, and I've done it time and time again. And so I guess there's something there, but I, I, I definitely feel like, um, never, sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's, it's just a bizarre, like, um, so I think that that idea of kind of trying to figure out how to, um, in, in fact, this, this time around on this project, it's been a, a, a great deal of uh, conscious effort to sort of go, well, how can we improve upon this situation, both on the creative side, on the production side, on the the team building side, like we're looking at this as like, how can we improve upon this? So I think it's about trying to figure out if you're going to go through these situations that are difficult and challenging, and you always are, how can you really truly reflect on them and grow from them? And how can you really make it better for your teams for, you know, and like I was just talking about where we have a very, um, I've actually been loving, uh, the work from home because we can get our entire team together and everybody's the same size. And there's a real democracy. We're having more story meetings where we're talking about our story in a way that I've never had on a project. And it's, there's something really liberating and freeing about it. And it's actually creating this enormous sort of growth. And we're, we're moving through the process of discovery on the story at a, at a rapid pace 
because of the openness that we've been able to create. And it's partially due to the safe space that we've created creatively for ourselves that we've very consciously, and that was, you know, that was, that was something we were trying to do that was an improvement upon our uh, collective experiences sort of in the past. So it's a, yeah, it's, we have to, we have to be open to change and evolution and we have to, we've absolutely surprised ourselves in, in how collaborative and, and, you know, again, taking a complete crisis situation and found and discovered benefits that are, uh, you know, continue to amaze me, you know, that, and so I guess it's just that, that trying to create those. Um, and I think that only comes from reflection. It only comes from being able to, to, to really um, talk about issues to be talking about mental health, be talking about how important it is for us to all have good work-life balance. And for us to all, you know, we're constantly, and I think that's a skill that we developed over this past year because of having to deal with this pandemic and everybody's, so we're, we've become hyper-conscious of everybody's situation on our team. And that's, I think, created a, a like a, yeah, I just, it's just saying it out loud. I've like, I can't, you know, I hadn't quite put the words to it yet, but it really does feel like that. And we wouldn't have done that if we weren't open to this, if we had just said, well, we can't do work from home. You know, we can't have all our meetings over video, you know, and by pushing through the pain of that and the, you know, the discomfort of that, we've actually found ourselves in a situation where we're thriving in a, in a way. So and and not I'm get, not every show is and not every creative process probably can. You know, it's like every every show is different and the chemistry of teams are different and all that. But somehow it's 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 been a benefit for us. So. This is really helpful too in dismantling some fallacies about resilience. There's a way we describe it. I often say bouncing back is is a way to describe resilience. And Mark, you are reminding me that um, there is intentionality to this process that bouncing back, sometimes I try to clarify that we don't mean you automatically just do well or that you can recover without work, that you're describing something that is intentional. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes community building. That is not easy. So I, I love this opportunity to even reframe the concept of resilience rather than saying, that it is something that we simply all have and we can expect to do it, but maybe to say that there's this intentional work required to access our resilience and to really harness those skills and abilities. Um, and that, you know, going, Philip, back to your story, it, it also means that when our basic needs aren't met, maybe financially, personally, um, uh, if, if those needs are not met, it's really not a discussion about resilience. It's a discussion about how to receive the support, what Kim, uh, what Cam was saying, how to receive the support you need in order to really problem solve, plan, and uh, and recover really meaningfully from, from those situations where basic resources are really required. 
I was listening to um, a podcast the other day and, and Tim Grover, who is the personal trainer of Michael Jordan and all these great NBA players, he just wrote another book and he was saying, you know, it's not just about, he was talking about mental resilience and it's, it's not just about bouncing back. It's actually, you know, spending a few seconds down there or a few minutes or a few days and just reflecting on what just happened. And we can go back to the journaling and, and the action plan and really figuring out, you know, why did I fall or fail? And what can I do to get a little bit better so I can get up smarter and stronger versus just getting up without really thinking about it? Um, so yeah, it was a great uh, podcast about resilience, but I love how we're just opening discussion about like, what is resilience? What does that mean? And there's a lot of work, like you said, that goes behind it and reflection. Yeah. It's also some people have, have the idea that they're just not a resilient person. You know, I think that sometimes people can actually internalize that on some level too and say, well, you know, I'm clearly going through a much, a much tougher time than my colleagues, so they must be stronger than I am. They must have greater you know, resilience and droves, whereas I don't have any of it. So I, I think that this is also very helpful to say the idea that you actually, there is some intentionality, that just because you didn't recover from one situation the way you would have necessarily doesn't mean that that, that ability is beyond you, you know, that you can't actually build a stronger network too. Another thing I like to say is if you do find that, I, I think that building a network is very important, but if it gets to the point where you really find that you are not bouncing back, also asking for as much help as you can earlier on is actually very helpful too. So to recognize that in yourself, and I think taking that safe space to say, how, how am I doing right now too, and detaching yourself a little bit, to also reflect on, is this the way that I usually cope or is this way far beyond and much worse than, than I've ever seen myself in some ways too? Um, and if that is the case, to actually find out what help could actually be helpful for you in that situation, too. It's something that I think is there's there's sometimes a lot of stigma behind it, too. But recognizing that it, if you have the idea that it actually could help you come back stronger than you were than you were before could actually be another very helpful tool. I'm trying to find ways to get that perspective so you don't get lost in it or get stuck in it and kind of trying to get that perspective, which I think, yeah, that that idea of making sure you separate making sure you check in with a friend or, or you know someone in your family going like hey this let me just let me tell you what's going on right now I, you know let, let, you know let me tell you let me tell you what happened and like i need someone to help me and you know process this but if you can't but yeah i, I, I keep going back to that crawling under the set <laughs> and being in a cold <laughs> like i just kind of keep going back to that image for me it's definitely a theme Mark, did you ever have the feeling that uh, that your 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 stress or your 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 uh, challenges are not being perceived in a similar way than uh, maybe uh, challenges of friends outside of the industry have been perceived? Because it's it's always this: oh, you work in movies, isn't this your dream job? Um, is this something you've you've noticed within your career? Hmm. Yeah, I guess it does feel, well, I mean, people always think of, oh, you know, animation, you know, oh, that must be fun. And, you know, yes, there's so much that is fun and rewarding, but there is this, there is this perception. I mean, honestly, the thing that people say is like, oh, animation has a director. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, 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 they have a director. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, that's a fun one to get. But there's um the, you know, this idea that, you know, um, yeah. We have to. We have the, the this this 
Yeah, you're 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 sort of you, that can be isolating, right? That can be isolating, and then that can make it sort of feel. And I do, I'm you know have friends both in the industry and outside the industry. Um, but yeah, I guess it's one of those things where, I guess it's it's never really been like problematic in a sense, you know, because people are always so curious about it too. So when those things come up, it's like, you know, it becomes an opportunity to, to, to sort of talk about the, the process and things like that. And, um, but I don't find that, um, I mean, it's actually, it's something we talked about earlier with this idea that it's like, we can walk away. Like we have to decide what it is that we're doing. If this, if this is too hard, if, you know, if, if, if really this, this job doesn't align with what it is that you believe in or your values or what it is you're trying to do. It's like, that's also why you need to kind of step away and get some, get some um, perspective and go, what am I doing? Like, what am I, you know, is, is this really what I want to be doing? And then in that idea of sort of regaining control, you either find those things like, okay, no, this is what I need to spend my energy on. Um, and this is where I want my focus to be. But I wonder if it's, it's a, it's a little bit of that where, so in trying to describe how hard my job is to somebody, you know, it helps me refocus on what it is that is important to me or helps me kind of have like kind of get in touch with that awareness of, why am I doing this? Like, why, you know, if, if, if it's always so hard, um, but it's also so rewarding, right? And it's so, um, yeah, weirdly. Um, and I love doing talks, especially with students, and I love talking about the process because it is strange where those moments of satisfaction come from after you've gone through the pain. And, like, I'll never forget, like, the whole point one of the one of the motivating factors to make the little prince into a movie was which was an insane endeavor you know like the idea of trying to make this beautiful poetic book into a movie was like i've had more sleepless nights on that project and more cold sweats and more you know just the stress of that project and um but i said in the end um I can't remember exactly how I framed it, but I wanted at the end of the movie, I've, I've wanted people to have the experience of connecting with others in a way that they hadn't had before. And I wanted that, I wanted it to, the movie to start conversations because that's the power of the book. The book starts conversations and the book, you know, and I got an email from somebody who described after watching the movie, and I think it was someone in Paris, when the movie was over and the credits were over, there was like, this person was in the theater, this other person was in the theater, they turned to each other, one person shared their candy, and they started to have a conversation about the movie, two complete strangers sharing candy. And, you know, it was just like, anyway, it was like one of those things where that was like, when I got that email, I was like, how bizarre, because that was the, that was sort of the thing that kept us going at one point. Like, you know, it was like, we did it. <laughs> like, we did it. So that, anyway, sorry, I'm going off the question, but, it, you know, that idea of trying to figure out, like, what are those goals? And they can be small, they can be insignificant, they can be emotional, they can be, you know, very specific, they can be about community building or, you know, but trying to define those for yourself and whatever it is that you're, um, we have a team member who's like, just was talking about their favorite aspect of their job. 
and the thing that they take most pride in. And it's like really important to know that about that artist. And, but it was really important for that artist to know that about himself, you know, himself. So that was a really, uh, and I guess the more you know, the more you can explain it to other people when they don't get it, right? I like the idea of setting smaller goals because sometimes I would assume that it, you know, it takes a long time to create these, these movies and perhaps sometimes it seems unreachable or unattainable, um, whether it takes months or years. But if you create smaller goals, then <laughs> you can stay on track with that passion and keep reconnecting with that why versus waiting till the end to do that. So yeah, I really like that. Mm. I always say like, um, the first thing on my to-do list is always make a to-do <laughs> list. So as soon as you get done, you're like, okay, here we go. Did one, now the rest will be easy. That's why it's so important to make the bed at the beginning of the day, I think, right? You feel accomplished, it's done, <laughs> then you can move on. Yeah. You talked a bit about finding, finding meaning or finding your why in it as well, which I think is a theme that it's one one of the things of resilience certainly to find a reason of what is the greater what is the greater picture in this what is my sense of meaning why am I doing this that I think can really help help you through but also I really like that you you mentioned finding out your other coworkers wise to figure out so what what really drives them why are they doing this project what's special to them about what why are they here which could actually be completely different for the reason why you're here you know <laughs> which I think that it also helps you connect with other people too. Also, in some ways, may even make you appreciate the work you're doing more. You know, it's like, oh, I never thought of it that way in terms of what, what that person is seeking through this job too. Um, and that's, I think, one way that to actually create a sense of, of support also in it as well too. And I think is that if you are in more of a managerial role too, to make sure that the people you're working with feel like they're actually being validated in some way too, that they're getting the sense of accomplishment that they really want from their job. Because you may think, you know, I'm, I'm giving them... You know, I, I tell them how wonderful they are. They're really, you know, they're doing great work, but that may not actually be why they're there necessarily. So knowing why they're there, I think in many ways can help you motivate them and, and make them feel actually accomplished and make them want to stay in the industry if that's what they want. As I'm hearing some of these themes, I think it's also important to uplift the concept that this work can be uh, something that brings people joy and happiness, that it doesn't have to be a, a place of distress. And in fact, when we're too stressed, we actually are so limited in our ability to be creative, um, to spark joy in others, to uh, come up with novel ideas. It's really limiting. Uh, so I think that's sort of the the balance too, is if you're reaching a point where not only is this work not productive for you, but you also are not experiencing contentment from it. And I'd say, even if it's like, I think episodic contentment is contentment, you know, after a project is finished or maybe after um, a discovery is made, it doesn't have to be constant contentment, but throughout this experience, are you feeling as though there is joy, satisfaction, um, shared love of the work? That's so important. There's this concept called broaden and build and it's really it's related to the growth mindset it's this idea that when we are content and happy then we look to broaden our horizons we look to find opportunities to even welcome challenges just to be open and that then is cyclical then we're faced with more opportunities for discovery novelty uh, uh exploratory experiences and then that brings on um 
more ideas to generate and then the horizons just get bigger and bigger. That is interrupted if we are experiencing way too much distress. Uh, and so I, I think that is one of the areas of balance here is like, where am I at with this? And my experience. Yeah, we try to celebrate our even the smallest victories and try to take stock, you know, and just find those, yeah, be, be, but it's really interesting. I never thought of that, that by, by doing that, you then have create the opportunity to sort of expand and think bigger. Right. Yeah. There's a fun study that psychologists have done where they ask people to make a list and the prompt is super basic. It's basically asking people to make a list of things they want to do. So, you know, get out a piece of paper and say, you know, write down all the things you want to do. And the people that have, or at least express more happiness and joy can generate way, way more future oriented ideas. And, and so I, I think that really elucidates this concept that if we believe that a part of this work is about broadening horizons and bringing people, our audiences, our community, novel ideas and then then we do need to spark joy in one another we do need to make sure that this work is bringing us satisfaction that, that's a very a very important point too that i think that we're i think many industries now thankfully are becoming more sensitive to to the to the idea really of diversity inclusion in the workspace as well and i think that many industries are thankfully also hiring more people from different minority groups as well too so with that comes the feeling of in, in some places not everyone may feel welcome unfortunately so i think it's it's sort of a, a two-edged sword in some ways so i think for the person i think that the industry themselves have to find a way to make sure that people feel a sense of community too as mark was describing making sure that you have that strong sense of team building to find out why is this person here this is i think applicable to regardless of what background you're from figuring out what why are you in this job what drives you why you must you must love it you know there must be a sense of passion or something that drove you to to, to actually try to break into this industry um, but also i think if you if you are recognizing that you're someone who is having more difficulty with that within the industry the other things we were talking about before in terms of having a safe space to go to, feeling that you actually have a sense of community, a sense of a sense of yourself as well, too, and how you can push through these boundaries as well, too, I think can help you go through some of the more of the difficult points um, as we continue, I think, to change the different workplaces as well, too, that, be, that become more adaptable to, to many different types of people. I absolutely agree. Resilience operates in our socio-cultural context. And so what that means is that when we're addressing our own internal abilities and skills and how we're learning from our challenges, we're also naming the very real systemic challenges and barriers ahead of us. And so for many industries, that does mean that women and professionals of color are not well represented, are not experiencing uh, support because leadership doesn't look like them, doesn't share their culture, um, and real inequities that I think are a part of this really complex situation. And so that's something I often talk about with the young leaders and the students that I work with, especially as we advance social justice, that yes, a part of this is about understanding your own uh, capabilities for resilience and also naming specifically the challenges that are outside of you that you cannot be responsible for you're you're not accountable for um, but you are contextually part uh, and maybe impacted by those very real so i think 
yeah, to, I think to summarize, there are a lot of good um, coping mechanisms, tools and strategies that did come up and a lot of it revolve around the self-reflection and knowing your goals and your why and your identity. Um, and this takes time to figure out, right? It's, it's a process. And of course, with, with support, it helps to, to find those answers. And, you know, there's a lot of loaded questions you kind of uh, let, let left on the table and, and that's okay. But I think um, some key takeaways today is, you know, taking the time to, to reflect on, on your support system, on your why, the small goals that you can um, accomplish so that you stay confident and passionate. Um, what is your safe space? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Um, who can you re reach out to? What other resources are, the, are out there that you may need to, to feel uh, safe and supported? Um, what is your, what's your happy place? What makes you feel good, right? What is your reset button? <laughs> and so I, we came up with some examples, but everyone's different, right? Every situation is different. Every um, movie and challenge will be different. So I think it's, it's normal to you know, try things out. It, it's a trial and error for, for everyone, for any performer, athlete, artist. And this last year has been very special for, for everyone. And I think it's been an opportunity for us to to draw on tools that work and also come up with, with new tools. So um, thank you, uh, Mark, for sharing your story and, and Dr. Mali and Dr. Drea for, for sharing your, your expertise and, and your knowledge to, to get the participants to leave with some, some different ways of thinking and reframing situations and yeah, how we can cultivate a growth mindset moving forward as, as life throws us challenges because that's what life does, right? And, and the more tools we have in our toolkit, the better we'll be at managing um, challenges. Yeah. I can only echo what Camille just said. It was amazing and insight insightful conversation. Thank you, Mark, Drea, Melanie, Camille, and our audience for being here. Have a look at our other chapters. Like I said, you find them on the Visual Effects Society website, vfxmontreal.com, uh, and uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. And um, See you soon.